Hi, everyone. Today, I'm talking to Matthew Klippenstein. Uh, Matthew is a very interesting fella. We, we've known each other for a few years and uh, worked on a couple of projects together and have some cool stuff in the works. But uh, he was a friend of the show back in the day when we were doing some, like the Bible Bracket Challenge and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so reached out and we've just become kind of compadres over the last few few years. And we, we have these really fascinating email chains. And Matthew has been on the show before, but I wanted to get him on to talk kind of more about like what he does with his studies and his, his writings about electric vehicles and clean tech and and clean energy and climate tech and, and these terms that are becoming everyday terms because of people like Elon Musk and because of the climate crisis and also how that impacts business and, and what we're doing kind of as a corporate culture. So as always with Matthew, we, we dip into some esoteric topics like religion and religiosity and a pandemic and clothing choices and <laughs> how, how we have base 10 instead of base 60. Fun stuff. But anyway, great show. Matthew's a really interesting guy. He's got a newsletter you should uh, subscribe to. It's all about how Tesla is, is the devil, basically. Uh, so it's kind of kind of fun reading. It's, it's changed my perspective a lot on, on some of those topics. Uh, you can also follow him on Twitter. There's a link down in the show notes. Always tweeting some interesting stuff, whether you're into stats and, and trying to understand the electric vehicle and, and clean energy sector, or just want to follow somebody who's got just a, a really unique outlook on the world, highly suggest. So here's a quick interview. It's not quick. It's uh, about 45 minutes long with uh, with Matthew. And uh, we, we hop right in talking about messaging and messaging clients. So hope you enjoy. Well, there were a few years younger than me. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is like 96 or something. And I was, I, I hung out with them a little bit. And I thought, well, this isn't, I don't know, what, what does this add to my life? And so I didn't really. <laughs> no, I, I loved I, ICQ. I the future after all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I used, I could still recite my number until a couple of years ago when I had kids. But yeah, I, I was a big ICQ person. But I, I did a lot of business with, you know, people, marketing folks up in, was it New Brunswick or, or somewhere uh, up north? And uh, they were big into Microsoft Messenger. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were always like, yeah, that's what we use in Canada. Like no one uses AIM here. And I was like, really? You don't use AIM? Like that's what everybody uses here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and because I was in I graduated college in 2000 mm -hmm. and we got high speed fiber in 98, 99, like year two. Yeah, we had the first, first areas around here in 98, I think. Were yeah. And it was broadband. Yeah. Right. So, you know, all of a sudden everyone's computer in their dorm room was attached mm -hmm. to a, a continual line instead of us having to dial into a, you know, AOL or whatever. Yeah. And take up the phone lines. So then everyone started using AIM on campus and it like radically tra transformed just the, the social scene of campus, you know, and all of a sudden people weren't calling each other or whatever. It was like yeah. almost overnight, you know, all the, all the college kids started using AIM. Right. Yeah. I saw a funny tweet this morning when Slack was down. Cause we, okay, yeah, I saw, I saw it was trending on Twitter. So I was like, oh, yeah, gosh. I know Monday mornings all time mm -hmm. after the holidays. Yeah, we're, yeah, that's our internal messaging system, again, because we're distributed. So between me and Mariana and contractors and even some of our clients are on it. And then I've got our co-working group that I'm a part of here. They use it. And so, you know, we're dialed in there. And anyway, it's, it's a big, you know, hassle when it goes down. Plus, we, mm -hmm. have, we have everything like our invoicing system and our to-do lists and our CRM and everything ties into Slack as well. So you don't really have to leave Slack to get notifications or to interact with those services. 
So, so it's like, oh, now I got to go open up Stripe and do this and this and this because I can't just, you know, do a backslash in, in Slack and, and get it done. But yeah, someone said, you know, people were talking about AIM and kind of the history of social media. And they said, yeah, you know, the changing your away message in AIM to like a moody grunge song was the original subtweet of someone. <laughs> a moody <laughs> grunge song. <laughs> you know, because like you would put like right. some lyric from some song oh, okay, right. about yeah, a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's like, oh, okay. Are they talking about me? So mm-hmm. it's like a nice subtweet. Anyway, right. how are you? I've been okay. Yeah, yourselves? Like, I guess one question is like, how has, how have religious gatherings been affected in your part of the world? Because we're not supposed to do it over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, now, it's, but then I, I was never really one to do that. So I didn't really notice that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know you're missing out on that experience. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we traditionally under normal times, we would have kind of a more concerted federal, federal approach to all of this. Right. But because we're living, thankfully, hopefully at the end of, of this oh, yeah, period yeah. of American politics, all, all, all of the responses since last January, February have been very local. You know, so maybe That's the right. state will give you guidance. South Carolina does nothing. We, we're <laughs> it's like basically up to each zip code. Yeah. So, it, you know, you can go to one town and there's a mask mandate. You go to another town and it's like yeah, it's totally different. Right? Totally. You know, everything's open. Restaurants are open. Right. You know, there's like no. I, yeah. I saw somewhere that like, I don't know, like the Kansas City Royals had to play in an empty stadium, but the Chiefs or something like were allowed, you know, their stadiums like a few blocks over, but it's in a different jurisdiction and they were allowed to have fans or something. <laughs> right. Some crazy yeah. dichotomy <laughs> like that. So, uh, or like the, the Rose Bowl is, you know, it's a big New Year's Day football game here and, and it's yeah. always at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, but yeah. California said no. So the Rose Bowl was held in Arlington, Texas at the Cowboys Stadium for the first time in, you know, 100 years wow. it was outside of Pasadena. Yeah, there's a lot of sports stuff is like moved around. We're like, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays because of travel restrictions. Right. Yeah. Everyone's yeah we're playing, playing down here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it, there's been that where it's kind of like, depending on which city you live in effectively. But for the religious side, I'd say for the most part, most mainstream denominations and congregations are, are still doing virtual or either there's you know, the, the pastor or the staff will go in on like a Wednesday and do the recording and then live stream oh, okay, that on right. Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that or, or, you know, just the pastor going in on a Sunday and, and live streaming from the, right. from the congregation meeting okay. place. But I guess, I guess the, the, the people who don't follow instructions will say they're, they're, you know, being persecuted and have to meet in secret, like the original Christians in Cubes and Cappadocia. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it gives way to lots of good metaphors and sermons about yeah, being yeah, persecuted. Like, it's just... It's like, it's like, it's not the fountain of youth. It's a, it's an infinite gold mine that you can find any illusion you want. Uh, exactly. Or, exactly. But you know, and we, still, we, still have, <laughs> right. we still have lots and lots of congregations that are, that are meeting in person, especially, right. you know, rural towns where people feel kind of impervious or, yeah. um, you know, even some of the bigger, more evangelical leaning churches here. Right. And, you know, they'll, I mean, they'll say yeah. that they have restrictions, but you know when you see the live stream it's like oh gosh there's all these people standing there you know some yeah. were wearing masks some aren't there's yeah. no real distancing and hmm. yeah i guess one thing is that you know not that i should be too uh, judgmental or anything because we have schools going on and realistically you know if you're going to complain about a bunch of people gathering once a week you know maybe twice a week or whatever depending on your affiliation or if, you know for bible study then 
kids meeting five days a week. That's a remarkable uh, <laughs> yeah. economy there. Yeah, we're, we're still kind of in a hybrid mode, even in South Carolina, where, mm-hmm. and again, this is our school district, some district. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So you're right, because our high school kids are basically largely remote learning. Yep. Even yep. There's some activities they go in for, I guess, because, I don't know. One of my friends was telling me that his daughter was t- uh, was supposed to do a, a Zoom physical ed class. So like they were all supposed to you know do <laughs> jumping jacks or whatever. It's oh, yeah. Just kind of imp- mildly impractical. Well, mildly you know, and it's, it's, it's something out of Dark Mirror, you know, where it's like, you know, this weird dystopian future where kids are doing jumping jacks via video chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we're, I mean, we're still kind of hybrid for the most part. I mean, again, depends on the, down to the district. So here in Columbia, yeah. we're a t- town of about 300,000, 350,000 metropolitan, you know, and then, so we have, I think four big school districts and each one of those have different rules. So if you live in this part of the town, your kid might be going in three days a week. If you live over here, you might right. have five days a week. And if you over here, you might have all virtual. So it really, <laughs> really depends. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, most workplaces here are, you know, pretty much not back to normal, but Working virtually is not as common as it was mm-hmm. you know, last spring, for sure. So we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, with the, the new administration that we'll get a little more sort of federal cooperation Safety. going and on. They might win Georgia, which would be an amazing Orthodox Christmas gift for the rest of the country. <laughs> right. Yeah, good, good epiphany. So that's Christmas there. And, and it's funny, we, we, speaking of that, we still celebrate you know, because both Marianne and I have our religious studies background. So we, we celebrate Christmas on January the 6th. Yeah, we, I mean, we still do, you know, Santa and that kind of stuff because we're not going to make Santa come all the way back right. for the five-year-old. But yeah, so like our, our big, you know, kind of family Christmas dinner. And it's when we finally take the tree down and all the decorations. But, you know, we, we like the whole real 12 days of Christmas thing. That's, you know, the 25th. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we're we kind of treat it like Hanukkah. <laughs> Each day is another like real right, day right. of Christmas. Or you know, like, is it is it Saturnalia, which was like ten days or something? Like this uh, yeah, it depends on the year. Some days it was you know a full like two and a half weeks, and some days it was ten days, depending on the lunar calendar and how yeah, that interacted yeah. with the solar calendar. Especially yeah. after Julius, the Julian calendar came in. That's but right. yeah, I totally imagine how like the Chinese who had figured out the whole. 365 and a quarter days per year you know so long ago we're like actually I guess no I guess by the time the Europeans came in and kind of uh you know forcibly opened up China they were on the standard yeah. Gregorian slash Julian or Julian or Gregorian calendars but um, anyway yeah it's just remarkable to me how many societies were like well we can't really figure out the number of days of the year but we're gonna conquer the world <laughs> right or you know I, I always love to think about you know because my other background is in Mesopotamian and Assyrian Babylonian stuff. Right. But for me, the the amazing descriptions in, in cuneiform of you know, okay, the moon does this and the six planets are doing this. So instead of counting things by ten, we're going to use base six. So that's why there are three hundred sixty degrees in a circle, and there are you know six weeks for this period, and and you know everything was much more on the lunar scale lunar cycle and you know fertility and all sorts of things tie into that of course and you know the idea that you know those the societies were were both civilizations were using just a a whole different like understanding of cyclical time in a way that we can't fathom but we're still being incredibly productive you know so 
It's yeah. one of those things where I'm like, you know, if, if someone were to pick you up and go drop you off in ancient Sumer or, or Akkad, you know, for the most part, you could figure some things out. But just the conception of time and, and passing, I think, would really be the part that freaks out moderns <laughs> because we, we think everyone has experienced the world the same way we do. That's and, right. you know, the whole passage of time stuff is, can really mess with your head. So I, I think yeah. it's hard for us to read back into that understanding of the world which I actually prefer. I wish we still did that. I think it's a cool model. Right. Oh, cool. I don't know on, on the topic of, sorry, there was, I was going to riff on something there, but it was like, did you want to start recording now? Because uh, there's some pretty good golden here or. Uh, <laughs> I've not um, been recording the last couple of minutes when we did. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, this, is, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, all right. yeah. All right. Yeah. So like uh, on the basic stuff, see, now I had, my understanding was like, if you hold your palm towards your face, like, so you, so the, I don't know, your fingernails are facing away from you, uh -huh. like, use your thumb to point to the 12 um, little joints on your finger, like three in your, each of your fingers, which is how you get 12. Right. And then if you put out your other hand, then you have five digits. So like 12, you can count the 12 on the one hand and then count the 12s on the other hand by you know, counting your fingers, which would give you base 60. And so I thought that was the, that was the, the way that you would get to a, like a 360 degree circle. That's true also. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it was tied uh, it, back it, into the lunar cycle as well. But yeah, uh, even in Egypt, that was, you know, for, I, I think, Middle Kingdom into New Kingdom. I'm not sure about Old Kingdom. Right. That was a common way to count and, and do yeah. kind of that basics type stuff or, or you know, right. count by six. Even like units of measurement, of course, were that. So, you know, 12 inches mm -hmm. still kind of lingers with us. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. In French, it's a pouce. It's like a thumb. Yep, exactly. Uh, exactly. Behold, yeah, it's, it's ballpark, uh, a joint of a, of a thumb there. Yep, exactly. And, and, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of a, a neat way to do counting. So when uh, we go camping a lot, especially now, because it's... <laughs> You know, can't really do much. We, we're still homeschooling our five-year-old. Our, our older daughters are in hybrid school, but the five-year-old's here with us all day. And, and you know, we, we just have to do something besides play dates now. So we do a lot of camping and, you know, every couple of weekends we'll, we'll go out and stay somewhere. So I was out with him the other, the other week and, and I was basically teaching him that because we were counting up sticks for the fire or something. I was like, okay, here's a little cool way to count that people used to do, you know, a long, long time ago. And he totally got it. Like right away, it was very intuitive for him. So he, he yeah. goes around now and like counts his Legos using that. <laughs> so he's going to be a... Sumerian or Egyptian. when he goes back to school one day. But, counting uh, methodology, yeah. Yeah, it's like, don't count with your fingers. And it's like, no, no, this is, I'm not counting with, I'm counting, you know. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, it's, yeah, it's kind of cool. I, I love that kind of history of ideas grandiose stuff i know it's kind of passe in a lot of circles as, as it should be because it is western dominated by you know heterodoxy of white male understanding of you know the, the passage of, of the, the centuries but um i still i still love that kind of meta history and, and learning more about that i think it's useful to know kind of where your where things come from so yeah yeah history of ideas i guess you would say yeah like what, what crazy uh, precursor caused us to wind up in this direction? Like, like the U.S. has a pretty impotent precedent in terms of like legislating ability, although that has changed in recent decades. And it's like, well, why would you have that? Well, people didn't like a king. And was it James Madison, I think, came up with separation of powers there? He's like, well, we're going to make sure that no one person has all the power or has executive, much executive power. So it's like it, you can you can kind of see the, the the subtle things that cause you know over time big changes. I guess over time any change becomes a big one. But 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you know, now, especially um, with our election debacle, there's, as an example, you know, there's lots of interesting ways that people are using, you know, quote, the founding fathers or, you know, weird election laws in the 1870s to justify, you know, a certain position. So like Ted Cruz this weekend put out a statement about how he's going to contest the election certification results on January 6th on Wednesday. And he was using, we're citing a case that South Carolina had brought in, I think, 1877. But the, the issue was, it was basically the white wealthy folks trying to take back the state after Reconstruction, because during Reconstruction, we had, you know, after the Civil War, we had a Black legislature overwhelmingly, and our, our representatives to right. the House were, were, I guess, in this case, African-Americans, you know, newly freed people. And basically, like, South Carolina was got this case through the Supreme Court to, like, change some election stuff to help these wealthy white minority or minority power types get power back. And, and still today, you know, South Carolina is a largely, I mean, you know, white people are in the minority here, but if you look at our state house, you wouldn't see that. So South Carolina is majority non-Caucasian? I'm, well, let me make sure. Uh, I know, so where I grew up, I grew up in a very rural part of the state down near the coast and where there were plantations. And out of our graduating class, there were about 180 people. I think about 150 were, were black and 30 something were white. So, and that was, I think it's like 75, 80% in my little hometown. But I think South Carolina is pretty close. Demographic race. Let's see. We just had our census this year. So, oh, you guys do it like every 10 years, right? I guess we do it 10 years as well. Yeah, it was a mess though with COVID and everything. I'm, I'm not excited. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, so South Carolina's general population, and this is, I think, because of the upstate, which is Greenville, kind of up near the mountains, very white part of the state in some ways. Uh, 63% is, is non-Hispanic white, and then around 30% is black. But yeah, oh, you get onto the lower part of the state, it's, it's very black, and, and yeah. that's why we, we always call South Carolina like a, a state with three parts, you know? So okay, yeah, like three, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess that is, is probably true in many, many states because you'll always have an ur- urban-rural divide. I was just uh, looking at the stats on demographics here in British Columbia, Canada. So right now, European origin people are two-thirds, but by 2036, it's expected that the European origin folks will be 51%. Wow. So it's now, and it's, it is, of course, ethnicities from around the world. Yeah, hey, I was going to say, you're much more cosmopolitan uh, in some ways, right? Uh, I think it starts to, it helps by starting off with a really small population. <laughs> <laughs> For true. Of, 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 of Westerners, I guess. I understand, uh, my understanding is that before Westerners arrived, there was a, a very large First Nations or Native American population, sure. but smallpox and other diseases got them. But yeah, so interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize uh, BC was actually heading that way. We do have one one city which is famously majority minority, I guess you'd say, which is a city of Richmond, BC. But I guess the whole province is heading that way, and yeah, that's that's kind of nice. Yeah, nice for nice, nice selection of cuisine at restaurants when they're allowed to open again. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's I've got a friend in Seattle, and that's what he always says. It's like, yeah, it's a great time to be a white guy in Seattle because you know we we get to uh, learn from all these other cultures and and yeah, the, the especially the food part. He's like, it's not, it's not just cheeseburgers and pizza anymore. It's, it's you know, right. wonderful, I think, diversity. Right. Oh, so here it says ethnic origin by regional group here in British Columbia. 
is about 18% East and Southeastern Asian origins. Yeah. And I think now, because Canada built its Transcontinental Railroad, Transnational, Trans Pan Canada Railroad, in order to bring British Columbia into Confederation. And actually, we a lot of Chinese immigrants came over and wound up doing the most dangerous work. But I think actually at the time, again, because there were so few Westerners, white people in British Columbia, I think Chinese people represented about 20% of the population. This, this, this number excludes the many First Nations people of whom Westerners didn't really know much. But it would be interesting if like, you know, any complaints about, oh, there are too many you know, people of Oriental descent in this province. Technically, it's not even at the peak that it was at 150 years ago. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I think the same is true for like San Francisco here. You know, there, it was um, oh, yeah, that's right. much higher percent of the population at one time was, right. was of Asian descent. Because, yeah, um, yeah and I guess, doing I guess all the they work. were all too smart to go up to the Klondike or Alaska for the gold rush. <laughs> right. uh, which would have increased their percentage further. <laughs> yeah, let, let the stupid young white guys go up there and, you know, yeah. prove themselves. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. And you know, it's 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 one of those things, you know, you and you and I have talked about globalism and and you know business and and with our respective um sectors of that, but like it's one of the interesting things to me is it in, in the midst of all the transformations we're going through, because I mean we're we're still very early in the information age, we're still very early in combating climate change, we're still very early. In the electronic or electric vehicle cycle that, that we're going to see in, right. in the coming years. So, you know, for me, it, it's like we feel like we're at the, the peak of this radical change where 20 years ago, you know, everyone knew how to write cursive and no one had a oh, little yeah. pocket computer. And, you know, everyone had their yeah. little friend group of, you know, 10, 15, 20 people who they knew really well, who looked yeah. like them, went to this, maybe the same church or the same, you know, gathering as them. Yeah. And it, it was a much more homogenous world that, that made sense in our monkey brains. So mm-hmm. now with globalism and, and just kind of the rise of information technology and, and the way we're changing transportation and the way we're addressing climate change and thinking about that theologically or philosophically or technologically or economically, mm-hmm. it, it to me, it just feels like a fascinating time to be alive. And I'm, I'm glad I'm here for yeah. this because this is, uh, as much as it absolutely is terrible sometimes, like mm-hmm. the last four years, we've uh, at least here in the united states we've been able to really kind of see that the cusp of that and hopefully address things like climate change in a proactive manner yeah oh yeah i i do appreciate that the that uh, we live in an era now where the world is totally different when i was like i would have loved to be able to have sent an email to like wayne gretzky even if it was answered by his personal assistant never occurred to me because i didn't know his his mailing address so i was like i can't write him a letter yeah, and you can't just like look that up on the internet. You had to go find. Yeah, no internet. Uh, you know, I didn't. I don't think they had the address of the hockey arenas, or whatever. I would find out later reading biographies that people would just like write Wayne Gretzky Canada, and uh, <laughs> it would it would naturally find its way there. Oh, that's but, so um, cool! It's like Santa Claus. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing. But yeah, so it it is uh, very much in flux, which isn't to diss previous periods. I'm sure they had their periods of flux as well, but this. This is more global. This is truly global. Yeah. And right. just, just scrolling through this BC demographics page. And so I think we will have a hidden interesting milestone, which will have consequences that will ripple out further as it happens. But in 2011, BC had 44% no religious affiliation and 45% Christian affiliation. 
So that was that was ten years ago now. So I'm sure the you know non the the irreligion group, I guess that's how they're calling it, uh, is probably a major, majority at this point. And I'm I'm intellectually curious to see you know well what happens there. Like I'm sure that for many people you know yoga classes or mindfulness groups might provide some of the community that they would otherwise have gotten from a religious service, which is which is interesting to me because yoga is kind of a secularized, you know, one branch off of, a, of, a, of Hinduism. Right. And mindfulness is basically Buddhism or is elements of Buddhism evolved for a, for a secular world, you know, without, you know, supernatural claims and stuff like that. I need to find uh, the article and send it to you. There's, I read something, I think it was in the Atlantic a couple of months ago about the Westernization of Buddhism in the 1950s and how radical that that was to to you know bring over this conception of buddhism that you know if you're in cambodia and you see this you're like that's not really what you're, you know, you're that's not buddhism folk or yeah i mean yoga and it's, it's connections to you know yogic exercises and, and hinduism i know i mean this, the southern baptist convention and well actually this was led by the catholic church in 2003 i think mm-hmm. put out a statement i forget the name of it but basically saying New Age principles. It was something about New Age principles was in, in the title, and how New Age principles were were bad, and and you know Christians shouldn't support them, and you should be praying instead of doing yoga, and or practice, practicing mindfulness, and you know the, the teachings of, gosh, there was something like something big at the time, you know, kind mm-hmm. of meditation type stuff, you know how mm-hmm. how that is contrapositive to, you know, real prayer because you're not you know acting in a relationship manner with god that prayer should be doing well anyway so the catholic church put this out and then the southern baptist church signed on to it so my wife mariana was very ardent southern baptist and her dad is still uh very very involved there and she we were discussing this after i read that piece and i was like yeah you know do you do you remember all this because she was in high school at the time or about to go into college and she said yeah you know i I remember kind of the you know you can't do yoga you can't meditate you know you have to if you're going to do that stuff here's the alternative for christians you should be praying or you should be doing christian yoga which is basically just yoga with bad music and you know there's all this sort of you know sort of christianization of of the cultural stuff that was taking off at the time here in, in the well, States. It's like, it's like adapting means for your community, right? Like I do remember walking into uh, one of the local cathedrals here and it was an Episcopalian Anglican. And there's a little sign saying, you know, you know, get ready for your sun salutation. Sun salutation is like a yoga thing, but they, they spelled it S-O-N, you know, with reference to Jesus. So it's like, yes, this is exactly how, you know, ideas kind of get uh, absorbed in a, in a, in a orthodox or an acceptable to the community way it's just it's just i was like wow that's just brilliant yeah and it's it's not a far leap to see how that can you know kind of give like a an understanding of how saturnalia went to become christmas (laughs) you know or (laughs) you know why we have a christmas tree in our den right now covered in light yeah exactly yeah yeah so which which draws from about probably northern europe i'm imagining Yep. I'm, I'm guessing that fir or evergreen trees, you know, aren't a feature in either the Levant or the, the Mediterranean <laughs> basin. No, no. I mean, down to the point where we have all these great marriage covenants from, especially in Mesopotamia, but some from the Levant, in Syria, especially, where if something happened to the couple or the, 
there was a widow or, 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 you know, the man filed for divorce, whatever. One of the, the things that I forgot, I forgot the, the term for this. I need to go look it up, but it basically meant like you get the center beam of the house. And it, it was kind of a metaphor for saying like, you get the, the bulk of the stuff. So you get all the, the, you know, 401k or whatever, <laughs> the center beam of the house being wood right. been very, very valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was, it, it was, yeah, there, there weren't a lot of Christmas trees for Mary to put the baby Jesus underneath and, you know, hang yeah. out with the sheep. But yeah, I think it, it again, Mary and I, and I were talking about this the other night over dinner. There are a lot of parallels to what's going on here in the United States in terms of religiosity and, and kind of turning to spiritual practices or, you know, actual, you know, religious practices and comparing that to what happened in 1918 through 1920 with the right. quote Spanish flu, which had, you know, came out of Kansas, but we call this the Spanish flu. And the idea that people turn towards kind of a moralistic, you know, quote, father God type Zeus in the sky conception of religion, especially Christianity in times like this, where things are so uncertain and, you know, one day the stock market is up 800 points and the next day it's down a thousand points and, you know, the president might tweet something and cause war with Iran. And then we've got the pandemic and, you know, you can go to the grocery store and catch it and change your, your entire life because you needed avocados, you know, so there's all this kind of uncertainty and brooding in the air. So people are turning towards more kind of not, I won't say fundamentalist, but a different take on religion than I think where we were headed before this, where religion was kind of becoming more seen as a, you know, people were saying they were spiritual, but not religious, right? Where it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I, I like to meditate or, you know, I think right. there's a God, but, I, you know, who knows? Yeah. And I, it, it's a vocal minority still, but there are a lot more people I interact with just through, you know, my day-to-day stuff or, you know, mm-hmm. either on theological Twitter who are turning towards things like Eastern Orthodoxy or, or hardcore Catholicism or fundamentalist, you know, Baptist. Really? Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess on the one hand, like in terms of like Donald Trump tweeting or the stock market, or whatever, I guess you know, humans do like to have a, if they see an effect, they like to see a cause, however yeah. accurate or inaccurate that is. And I, and I can imagine that in times of uncertainty, then you, you go for things which offer some certainty. I mean, I certainly do, uh, but that is, uh, that's interesting that, because I would have thought that, you know, I, oh, I guess I would have thought the more, uh, more, you know, nominally Protestant people would 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 sooner go over to Eastern Orthodoxy than to Catholicism. But yeah, that's, it's, that's I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's based on where you are and you know all sort of sorts of circumstances. But you know, mm-hmm. also just the that that human condition we have of looking back and saying the good old days or make America great again. You know, those yeah, really yeah. primal feel we have, and it's yeah. like, well, this sucks living like this. Where we're all in our apartments or our homes. And we might have kids, might not, but, you know, I can't see my coworkers. I can't go out to the bar with my friends. I can't go to restaurants. I can't, I didn't really go to church, but I remember my, that being a big part of my grandparents or my parents or, you know, whoever. Right. Yeah. And they seem to have a great life. Yeah. Yeah, And they had a house and they had cars and I can't afford a car and I can't get a new job because we're all stuck inside on zoom. And it's just, you know, maybe that was the better way to live. So maybe I want to find a wife who's going to be subservient to her husband and have meals ready and take care of the kids while I, put on my business suit and go, you know, to my three martini lunch. And, right. you know, I, I, it feels like there's a lot of that in the air, at least here. 
We even saw a couple of tweets over the weekend about this, like the new fashion lines at Target and H&M, some of these more department store type places. Uh, a lot of dresses that are for, for identified females who uh, the dress is, you know, very high up on the neck and long sleeves and very long cut, you know, down to the ankles. And, you know, it looks like something, you know, out of that, that you would see in a, in a pandemic dystopian movie. <laughs> and, wow, like, um, what was that? The Handmaiden's Tale. Yeah, yeah, very, very much, you know, very f- kind of flowing. And, 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 you know, one conception is people aren't, you know, there's no reason to wear like a, a tightly tailored suit, whether you're male or female or, or identified, however, and, you know, go through, you know, your workday like that if you're sitting on your couch on Zoom, you know, mm-hmm. so like, why not be comfortable, but still have some fashion. But right. I saw a lot of, you know, great Twitter takes that were like, yeah, it feels like, you know, Target is trying to sell us, uh, you know, version of, you know, the 1890s where <laughs> women were at home rearing the kids and, you know, really retro, with a different, yeah. different circumstance. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think there's going to be increasingly not, maybe not a huge turn or anything like that, but it, it definitely put the skids on kind of that feeling that religion was, you know, fading out in, in the younger generations or, or middle-aged population as something that was seen as a core part of the you know, experience or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we'll see some people that, you know, depending on, again, area, location, socioeconomics, all sorts of things, but people who wouldn't have traditionally or, or weren't on the way to, you know, one day attending church or synagogue or, or, or mosque saying, yeah, maybe I should give this stuff a shot because, you know, the way I was living here, you know, didn't really work out so hot. So that's so a couple of things are interesting. So one, I guess my having come through a cohort of people who got their first jobs just around the time the dot-com bubble, all my friends were like into the stock market. Most of them joined a year or two ahead of me. So they got, they were able to cash out a little bit um, during the, the little boom time. So I do remember this rule in investing where, or this rule of thumb, whatever, saying that basically you're, you're in a bull market, like stocks are going up. If like fashion or women's fashion is risque, like men's fashion doesn't really change, right? And, but that in a downturn, people, I guess the simplified, you know, crude non-scientific logic was that if it's bad times, then women's clothes become more conservative and, you know, cover more of the body, that kind of thing, which actually correlates to this, this thing that you're observing with Target in terms of the coronavirus and other chaos, yeah, possibly associating with, uh, these longer dresses, although I would also imagine that the desire not to get the coronavirus might also cause uh, people to uh, to want to wear more more clothing. But, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. So that 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 definitely uh, that definitely uh, uh, triggered a memory there. Well, I've always said there's there's a very small, you know, the, theology aside, there's not a huge leap from sort of the very evangelical fundamentalists you know, I, I mean, I'll say from my experience, Southern Baptist, but there's a lot of Presbyterians and holiness churches and Southern Methodist church, you know, all sorts of churches out there that can be lumped into that fundamentalist holiness movement. But it's not a, a big leap to go from that to something like Sharia law. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of commonality uh, in terms of, of societal setups. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to be a white guy with making the, the huge connections between ideas or anything like that. But I guess it offers certainty more than anything else. So it's like exactly, yeah. Um, whatever, whatever community or religious group you're in, then if there's, I guess, a community bands together against outside threats, whether it's a virus or you know bad times, or whatever. Which, 
I suppose would make it more plausible for like hardliners and to, to, to come forward. Yeah. And, and, and we see that so much now, especially again with social media and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the ability to find very specific niche groups that you identify with strongly. And, and mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's a human theme where, you know, we, we find these groups and we identify with them and we want to keep the outsiders away or, or let them know that they're not doing things right or correctly. And, right, um, right. you know, our, our understanding of this idea presented in Pokemon is better than your understanding of this idea in Pokemon. So therefore our subreddit is better than your subreddit. Right. You know, or our, our discord server is better than, yeah. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of that going on as well, but it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, had, I hadn't delved too much into that. Um, you know, just thinking, you know, out loud, but I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if, if we bounce back into something like the roaring twenties here in the United States, where it was, you know, seen as a time of, you know, the flappers and excess and lots right. of parties and, you know, kind of this really fun times. And, and then the stock market collapse, you know, or if it'll come out as something more austere. Right. I don't know. After, after many years and, and seeing so much frothiness in, in tech and, and now in the EV or, you know, clean energy sector, where this is remarkable, you know, truly the, the companies with the least promise on an objective basis, have the largest stock gains. I would think that we're kind of at the tail end of that and we're due for some sort of, you know, seven years of hard times, whatever the, the uh, analog in the uh, Hebrew Bible was. Whereas if you're just coming out of like the Great Recession, then it's like, okay, well, things have been kind of crappy for a year and a bit. Uh, maybe some good times coming. But yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's interesting. I, I, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit before we had to wrap up, but the, like you said, the the EV industry, the electric vehicle and and clean energy sector is again, so fascinating to me because, you know, being someone who grew up on a farm in the United States, like fuel was diesel or, you know, gasoline. (laughs) And and we, we still look at things like solar with, with kind of a, like, well, it might work, but you know, we're not really sure we want to, do that and then again we have some of the largest solar farms in the country in our state just you know because we have so much land and and the sun shines on us a great deal (laughs) you know but there's been lots of talk about wind energy off of our coasts and Mm -hmm. and, you know sort of tapping into those those areas as we move forward but then you've got the institutional sort of politicians who are fed a great deal by you know the the sort of old energy <laughs> concerns here, yeah. you know, along with, again, that, that feeling of, well, my, my granddad got along just fine using diesel and, and fuel. So why do I have to use solar or, you know, can we yeah. trust this stuff? Or what was Donald Trump's thing? You know, like if there's no wind, you can't watch TV at night. Right. So yeah, just understanding battery technology and clean energy technology, like are, are, are you seeing yeah, so, a difference uh, there? There's, 2020 was definitely a very big year for anyone who uh, was had had put their money towards I don't know, an idealism and you know not having money in fossil fuel stuff. I think the actual run-up might have had less to do with COVID itself and more to do with the fact that like for one day in February, due to a weird way that financial arrangements are structured, the the asking price for oil went negative. Like there was this one day where it's like, oh, 
oil. Oh, so I remember that. For one yeah. day, like minus $37 a barrel. The next day, yeah, because of the way these contracts work, it was right back up to like $20 or $25 or whatever it is. And my thinking, and, and what was that line from that movie? Like, don't get high in your own supply. If I had, if I had actually, you know, put big, uh, you know, money on my deals as opposed to being cautious and like, well, you know, there's, you know, there's perception bias and all these other things. It's like, wow, I could have cleaned up last year. Uh, but, but no, I was kind of a uh, cautious as, as is my, my habit. And so I was not particularly participating in that inflation of values. And that's an aside. The actual, the actual answer is that, yes. Yeah, so I guess the, the, the one major benefit that the solar, that the solar and power in particular has and wind turbines as well is that because these are little individual you know, pieces of things, individual units, and you can actually get manufacturing economies of scale as you manufacture more of them. And you get these things called learning curves where things get cheaper the more you do them. And I don't know, I guess Moore's law with uh, microchips might be kind of an extreme example of that, yeah. uh, where you can like double every two years or whatever, the amount of computational power per dollar or something like this, or per chip or whatever it is. And uh, so that's something that you don't really get when you're pulling stuff out of the ground because you have one piece of equipment and you're, you're relying on the geology and these other things. So basically, yeah, solar power, wind power, they're going to get cheaper. In particular, on the U.S. shoreline, the Atlantic coast or whatever it is, the, uh, the seaboard, yep. the eastern seaboard. It, one nice thing about the seaboards is that they tend to be very windy. Yep. And part of that is helped because you don't have mountains or other terrain, which causes you know, the wind to kind of go all like spin around, cause turbulence and things like that. And so, yeah, there's tremendous promise for uh, offshore wind in many, in many regions, U.S. seaboard especially. And the, the technology didn't really exist 10 years ago, but basically as people had some success with onshore wind turbines, they're like, well, maybe we can put these off the water and you got to build them a bit differently, got to ruggedize them. And, and you can do that. And now they're talking about using floating offshore wind turbines, right. which basically it's, it's, it's a fascinating case of evolution here where Statoil, the Norwegian state oil company, used to operate a bunch of offshore floating oil wells or oil, oil drilling rigs. And they were like, well, we got to kind of get into this new energy stuff. Uh, why don't we try and design floating platforms for wind turbines instead? And so they're one of the leading providers. Oh, of, that's cool. Wow. Of, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it's a fascinating like pivot. It's it's a great, uh, great story, a great narrative, and uh, I mean, it almost reminds me in a way of how, uh, I guess, you have in older texts, you had the uh, the scroll, right, like the uh, scrolls. But early in Christianity, someone was like, "Hey, let's use both sides. Let's let, let's invent the co- codex," and so it's like, "Let's use both sides of this papyrus <laughs> or uh, right. or this animal skin." And it's like, yeah, that's kind of a, an innovative innovative thing. And so, so yeah, I would, I guess the, the, the institutional bias or the, the, if your life has been centered around fossil fuels, of course, that's the default. New things are kind of, they might not exactly match your needs, but the, the way that uh, things are trending, it's like, well, over time, something which only meets 50% of your needs, well, you know, in a few years, it'll meet 60% or then 65 and 70. And so it's one of those, it's like phones, I suppose, right? Like, at first, your phone, your your smartphone, your mobile phone only actually did calls. And then you could kind of add text. And now it's the, what they see. They probably sell more phones per year than computers. And it's similar to that, an analogy like that with 
with renewables in that they are largely able to displace fossil fuels for production, for transportation. They're not there yet, but by the time we build out to their limits today, let's say, by the time we build out to, to the 2020 you know, technology limits, maybe it'll be 2030, but then the technology will have improved, so we'll have a, a bit further to go before hitting those limits in 2040, in which case we'll have another 10 years of new development. So it, it is very, it's, it's, a, it's a promising arc, you know, after a lifetime of environmental doom and gloom. Actually, yeah, if we, if we chat next uh, time, I can uh, bring up some work that a friend of mine has done on like climate models. And yeah. I guess uh, true to human nature, the extreme cases like, you know, the book of Revelation gets a disproportionate amount of attention <laughs> in, in the New Testament, in the Christian te- uh, scriptures, than its length. Right. Uh, and in a similar way, you know, for very good reason, a lot of press releases and academic study goes to the worst case models because you want to be prepared in case you have these catastrophic uh, situations. And it's good for the and, clicks. It gets people interested. Uh, uh, well, that's that's right. Yeah. You know, which isn't, an, I don't at all want to say, I want to imply that scientists do things for the clicks. But if you do a paper on something which is apocalyptic, then it's dangerous. You know, it's something which hits the amygdala or whatever those parts of the brain are and of course they will get more attention because yeah well it's, it's the like, elon yeah. musk elon musk model right like it's... yeah that's right that's right it's uh yeah it's the it's that uh, attention grabbing thing and so what my friend has done is that one i guess the the one sentence message is that we are on track to a one of the one of the more benign not quite the most benign or the, the least bad let's call it of the un climate scenarios but we're on track to the to the to one of the lesser malevolent ones, and the reason is that when these models were first put together, when this this most catastrophic model came out, RCP 8.5, this was at a time when people were worried there wasn't going to be enough oil. It's like a peak oil kind of a worry. So when they did the models, they were like, okay, well everything goes back to coal, and so in that worst case model where the Earth's temperature is like four or five degrees Celsius higher than it is now, or right. whatever. That assumes a world which burns like six times as much coal in the year 2100 than it burned in the year 2000. Oh, okay. It's not going to happen because like coal is being phased out. Right. And, you know, it's, it's not just a bunch of nerds saying, oh, we're so smart. You know, there's a lot of community action. There's a lot of advocacy. There's a lot of grassroots things pulling together for that. But, you know, an innocuous, you know, early difference is like, well, we're going to make this model. You know, what if there's no more oil or gas? Everything's going to run on coal. You get this terrible result. People with good intentions and, you know, with appropriate prudence spend a lot of time looking at that model. And we are in the fortunate case that it's not that bad, right? It's like, maybe it would be like some, you know, some Christian congregations taking literally the idea that 144,000 souls will be saved. <laughs> right. As opposed, to, <laughs> yeah, as opposed to the more, uh, you know, common, you know, inference that, well, it's kind of a, representative you know metaphorical thing yeah um, yeah so like a, a distinction there omaha nebraska is fine but the rest of us are going to hell <laughs> that's right that's right and I'm, I'm sure the people in the you know the shelbyville to the to the springfield of omaha nebraska will be like oh no no we're the good guys we're, okay. <laughs> we're, we're the ones who are going to get saved well and, and what, what you're saying reminds me in in some ways from the business point of view of, of you know every every tech that, that really takes hold you know, the automobile is a perfect example. You know, it wasn't until the automobile was was mechanized in a way that the, the means of production became, you know, this this monster of an industry that, you know, Henry Ford and a few others came up with that, you know, you could put all the raw materials here, then, you know, the other end of the rose plant in, in 
you know, Detroit or Flint, wherever it was, you know, out pops a Model T. And, it, you know, it took that sort of production factor from someone who was interested in a profit motive, not necessarily, you know, making it easier for people to travel, but saying like, oh, no, I, I know what people need in order to do this. So I'm going to make money doing that. Or Steve Jobs with Apple, you know, like he was never ashamed of making money from his computers, right? his, his technology. And it was very much a, I think I'm helping the world, but I'm also mm-hmm. doing this to make jobs for people and, and improve our economy and to, you know, make an amazing green space and do all these things he did. But it, it's mm-hmm. like... um. Kara Swiss, Swisher, who's a, a tech writer. Oh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I've read some of her stuff. Yeah, yeah, she, I think she was, or is it the, the New York Times? She's been around in the tech world forever, great, great writer and thinker. But she has a podcast now called Sway, which is really interesting. Kind of the same really? thing as this, where, yeah, where it's like, she interviews very interesting people about their business ideas and yeah. kind of takes them on from a tech point of view. But she wrote, or she was interviewed by Bloomberg a couple of weeks ago, I believe. And she said that, she was talking about the difference between climate technology and traditional clean tech or clean technology. And she was saying there's a a difference in understanding of those two. And and she says the first trillionaire, you know, on earth will generate, yeah, they'll generate their wealth from being in climate related technology or climate tech instead of just clean tech, which I think is a very interesting uh, thing. I'll I'll send you the link here and I'll put this down for people. Yeah, it's it a is. it's it's a fascinating argument. I I never thought of climate tech as being something that would be mm-hmm. apart from clean tech, but it, it's a compelling case, and a lot of it has to do with that profit motive and saying, mm-hmm. you know, not only are you <laughs> helping humanity survive the the coming <laughs> climate crisis, right. but or the climate crisis we're in, but you know, you're also there's a profit motive there for the Elon Musk types or the you know Jeff Bezos types who yeah are willing to, you know, lend the underlying means of production, but also come back. And and I'll just shut up after this because you're the expert on this. But also, I think things like blockchain technology are, are really yeah. going to uh, be a big part of oh, yeah. climate tech or clean tech or whatever. And, and just, you know, talk about technologies we're just at the beginning of. I've been so excited about it for a few years now, but, you know, I'm one of those fools who, who thinks you know bitcoin has <laughs> something of a chance but but blockchain in general i think is, is something that's a fascinating technology that's going to really 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 transform things in, in unexpected ways yeah oh i think i i do agree there just going just linking back you know to, to henry ford and also this you know counting on your fingers the 12 kind of a thing it's like ford got his ideas uh for the mass production line mass the assembly line from watching i think butchers in chicago which is a big meat sort of packing uh, area huh i didn't know that and and so he basically oh maybe i can apply this sort of this mass you know basically it was a mass disassembly line of cows or something and he was like well maybe i can mass assemble automobiles using the same idea that you know every every worker you know puts on a widget as opposed to you know every butcher on this line you know takes off a particular cut of meat and yeah, so it's like things, things definitely do link. It is kind of cool to, to see how they link together. And I will definitely have to listen to that trillionaire question there. My, yeah. my counterpoint, but, you know, without hearing it, is that, you know, if something is that valuable, I would wonder if governments would simply say, well, we're just going to invalidate your patent for the public good. Although I suppose uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are already, what, one-fifth of the way to becoming trillionaires? Yeah, they're almost I mean, there. My, my they're one comment they're... would be that since Bezos has managed to have profits for many years at Amazon by 
semi monopolizing was it cloud services with AWS. Yeah, that's. I'm, I mean, I'm thinking he might have a have a head start there, and right. also, wouldn't he be twice as rich if he hadn't, you know, had an affair and divorced his wife? <laughs> he got like, divorced. Yeah, I know. They, like he would be just head and shoulders about anyway. Just um, which is really fascinating because his wife just donated, I think, twenty five million to a local historically black college here, right. and. Yeah. Another like 10 million to a school district to help out with a feeding program based on tech stuff like yeah. here in Columbia. And it's like, wow, okay, well, it'd be cool if uh, other billionaires would <laughs> do that sort of thing for communities. Well, I, th I think, you know, maybe there's some sort of a perception or, or a starting point difference in that if you're, oh, actually, yes, yeah, like, so Jeff Bezos is playing Monopoly. Like, okay, how do I get richer? Right. What are the, He's going to see, he, I assume, spends his time trying to figure out how to improve Amazon so, you know, the, the empire sprawls further. Whereas she's playing a French game called Flambeur, which is an anti-monopoly where the goal is to literally give away all your money. So it's it's just a... Linda Gates a, a idea, game, right? American versus French. You know, see, see if I can find that, the title of that game. Um, it's uh, like Flambeur in French is a, uh, is a word to describe someone who, like, fritters away all their money. And so, yes, indeed, there's a there's a girl a girl there's a game called Le Flambeur, came out in I guess the 80s, and yes, it's an anti-monopoly in the sense that your goal uh, is to be the the biggest fritterer away giver away of money in the game system. It is literally an anti-monopoly, which is <laughs> I, a hilarious premise. Yeah, I love it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's and that's a good that's a good connection there. Yeah, because I mean we we see. We, we laud and applaud the Bill Gates and Melinda Gates who, who do that sort of thing and yeah. want to cure malaria and want to, you know, take on coronavirus and, and with the former Ms. Bezos. I forgot her name. I'm blanking here, but... Uh, um, Mackenzie Bezos. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, she was named dropped on Chapel recently. That's how I, that's how I know. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, here it go. I found it on the Amazon. That's funny. Anti-monopoly game, Travel 10. The real estate trading game for the 21st century. Yeah. I love it. I'll put a link down in the show notes for people listening. So, yeah, so I'll send you that link, but I, I think it's, again, I think we're at the beginning of a whole lot of things and the culmination of some other things, but I think that business-wise, we're going to see such a transformation. I mean, like, you know, as we wrap up here, but like California just recently passed legislation saying that all internal combustion engines. So all new cars. All new sales, right. Are uh, to be zero emission. And California, yeah, California is interesting uh, in that I think there's like, I forget if it's 10 or 14, I think it's 14 other states basically cut and paste from California. Yeah, and yeah. Boston, for example, or sorry, Massachusetts rather just announced, uh, I think on the weekend, it would follow the lead and ban the sale of new internal combustion engines by 2035. Wow. Basically, you know, uh, so as not to get people all scared and so forth. It's like, you can drive as long as you like, just not buy new ones. Right. Um, right. And so, but yeah, that's, that's, again, that's 15 years. That's a long enough time. People who, you know, want to, you know, stick with their trusty vehicle, you know, can, can still do so. But it is, it is a nice way of uh, regulating things into being, which you can't always rely on the free market to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my, my father works in, in the car business for yeah major company. And he, he, you know, we're talking about the California side of things. And he said, yeah, you know, 15 years, he's like, I'll be out of the business. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a good thing. And, he, you know, he's old school very South Carolina guy, you know, so to hear that from him, I was like, oh, he's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's time for a change. He was like, but used car sales this year have been through the roof across the country, especially in places like Oh, California. yeah, yeah. Like we, we had to buy a second car last year. 
because COVID meant that, you know, working from home basically meant that one of us couldn't both drop off and pick up the kids. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, so yeah, I can totally see why used car sales would have, would have spiked. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, you know, so I, I expect that'll continue for a little while because mm-hmm. I have a, a truck from like 2017 that it's terrible and uses way too much fuel, whatever, but it comes in handy. And mm-hmm. uh, he was like, yeah, I could take your truck right now and turn around and sell it for a belt while you pay for it and, you know, mm-hmm. get, get that back out. And I was like, wow. So anyway, I, I think that's a fascinating time. And maybe in the future, we'll just, you know, buy from Carvana with our Bitcoin and the car will show up at our home. It's right. Charged yeah. up and ready to go with our battery packs. And I'm sure that uh, someone has already become a billionaire by hyping that idea. And if not, I'm sure it's only a matter of time. <laughs> Whether they deliver on that or when they deliver on that, you know, might be one of those underest- overestimate change in two years, but underestimate in 10 years, you know, rules of thumb from the, from the tech sector. Yeah, I think so much is going to change in the next 10 years. And, and that's what I, I want to talk to you about next time is like, sure. are we going to be buying automobiles and motorcycles yeah. in 10 years? Or are we going to, you know, it, are things like public transportation finally going to crack you know, through with the general population that's not just, you know, in major mm-hmm. urban centers and, right. and what that might look like for the future. So I mm-hmm. thank you for being here and, and taking some time today to oh, walk absolutely. us through all that. It's so much fun. Yeah, lots of fun. Not many folks I can, I can share my intellectual curiosity and thirst about things about faith communities with. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I was going to talk. I've got like 10 questions here about EV and, and clean tech stuff. And, and we oh, got yeah, through I mean, like two. So <laughs> we got plenty of through them email room for next time. Like yeah. <laughs> so if people, if people wanted to read more about your, your musings, what, Twitter, your, oh, your okay. website? So, yeah, I guess the uh, easiest way to reach me would be on Twitter. Uh, so my handle is electron.com, uh, electron, like the particle E-L-E. C-T-R-O-N-C-O-M-M. Um, it's a, an increasingly misunderstood label. People think I do PR, but I actually do technical writing. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's like a, it's a, it's a classic misdirect, I guess. Yeah. I do have a substack, also evform.substack.com. Oh, that's right. That's, that's my analogy why Tesla is like Animal Farm. The one-sentence version is that, you know, just as the pigs wound up being more exploitative than the humans they overthrew, in this one particular case, uh, I think Tesla has has behaved more anti-socially or more poorly than the legacy automakers it, it uh, intends to disrupt in everything except CO2 emissions. But, but that's just my, that's my outlet for, for railing at the injustices I see in the world. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a private Jeremiah. It's a, it's, a, it's a mailing list Jeremiah. I love it. And if you're interested in, in EV technology or clean tech or, or Elon Musk um, and Tesla and what they're doing, like, Please go subscribe to the to Matthew Substack because it, it's a it's a fun read. I always enjoy when those pop in, or you know when when you publish a new technical piece. It's always right, right. fascinating. Cool. I, I, I know what one tenth of what you're talking about, but it's it it makes me feel smarter. Being <laughs> right. Well, if I can't make you feel smarter than, or sorry, if I can't make people smarter than, I can give them the illusion of it. I suppose. <laughs> there you go. And with that, that's a good way to to send off. So thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you.